message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. next week. Peace is flying in from America. Yay! Yeah, <laughs> obviously. So um, I've been asked to speak about Christmas this morning. Don't really know why. Could have done without the stress of thinking about Christmas this early in December. Signing Hundreds of Christmas cards to people I haven't seen since they attended my wedding 30 years ago. <laughs> Being compelled to spend entire evenings in the company of people I don't like just because I work with them or I used to work with them or Mel used to work with them. or <laughs> Great timing, thank you very much. I am a little worried that the older I get, the more like Scrooge I become. No one disagreed with that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now, I thought I'd do something as traditional as I dare go if we're going to think about Christmas. And uh, I'm, the framework for my thoughts this morning is a Christmas carol. So uh, we're going to be thinking about a Christmas past, a Christmas present, and a Christmas yet to be. So I'm, I'm less Scrooge than Jacob Marley, I guess. <laughs> let's, let's start with Christmas past. Um, if you'd like to turn to Matthew, we are going uh, to read quite a lot of the Bible today. But that's okay, because Graham's just said that that's a good thing to do. So, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. We're going to start with Christmas past, the first Christmas. There we go. That's my representation of the first Christmas. So, uh, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born, King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. 
when he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. So, familiar, familiar story. And uh, as with any expected child, there's anticipation. Uh, this is true of every pregnancy, isn't it? There's a sense of anticipation. One of our trustees at the moment is pregnant. Um, we're, we're doing a research project together. And uh, we're planning the future, and we're having to plan it around the due date of the child and how she's feeling sometimes, and there's things we want to we wanna, uh, do as we go ahead. And she's excitedly preparing for her new child. It'll be her third. She's got uh, two daughters already. She said to me, you're the only person who hasn't said to me, I bet you hope it's a boy. <laughs> Three girls is great, I've told her. Three girls is great. I remember Mel being pregnant. Third was best, obviously. You're the only one here. <laughs> Cut that out of the podcast. <laughs> I remember Mel being pregnant. The excitement and anticipation of a new child, the stuff you want to buy, the room you want to get ready, the classical music you have to listen to because it's good for their brains. <laughs> Mel did lots of that. 1980s electro pop, not so good for their brains. Shouting names of Liverpool goal scorers every time they scored in her belly. <laughs> Fowler! <laughs> Only worked once, but one out of three is not bad. <laughs> but we didn't have an angel. <laughs> Sorry, darling. Without fail, every time. We didn't have an angel tell us that she was going to be pregnant. We didn't have that sense of anticipation. We didn't, we didn't have this, actually, the child has been conceived by way of the Holy Spirit. That's a whole new level of anticipation, isn't it? I mean, I don't know what, Joseph has some dreams, but wow. Mary wasn't even dreaming. Luke tells us it's Gabriel that speaks to her directly. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. It's important. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel said, Greetings, you are, who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. What a sense of anticipation, looking forward to this birth. And it's not just the parents or the family or the friends. There are people in the nation that are looking forward to this. So there's this wonderful story in Luke's Gospel about a man called uh, Simeon. Where are we? Chapter 2, verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was awaiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. 
There's this sense of expectation, not just in the family, but in the nation. God is doing something. The Holy Spirit is moving upon people. The Christ is coming. And as we read these stories, the gospel writers are trying to tell us something even more than that. It's not just that in the immediate context of his birth, there is an anticipation about Jesus and the coming of the Christ. It has always been there. It is written in their history. Isaiah's talked about it. Micah's talked about it. Loads of prophets have looked forward to it. Actually, we can go back and see that all of human history has been anticipating this moment. We can go back to the book of beginnings in Genesis. However you understand this or interpret this, it's okay to say where I stand on this, isn't it? God created Adam and Eve. I believe in literal people. This is a story that we're told about God creating people. And he gives them great freedom. You can do anything you want, but you can't eat the fruit of this tree. So what do they do? That's how law works, isn't it? That's the law impact. That's the impact that law has on us. Don't think about elephants. Boom. All of you. Can I tell my dad joke, Brad? I bought my mate an elephant for his lounge. He said, thanks very much. I said, don't mention it. <laughs> Brad, dared <to> be <laughs> Brad dared me to tell a dad joke this morning. They're in the garden. They've had all this freedom. <laughs> Sorry. They've had all this freedom. One thing they're not allowed to do, that's what they do. God goes walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hide. They hide because they know that they've rejected him and rebelled against him. This is what people do, isn't it? People who can't look you in the eye. Why can't they look you in the eye? Shame, guilt, dishonesty, eyes drop, heads drop. I know people who physically disappear. They don't answer their phone. They don't answer their door. They're just gone. Shame. That's what it does. And God deals with them. And he deals with the enemy that's tripped them up. And he speaks to the serpent. And he says this. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Genesis 3.15, in the Garden of Eden, in, in the immediate aftermath of mankind's rebellion against God, he promises them that there will be a descendant of Eve who will come, and the enemy will strike him, and the descendant will crush his head. And as the revelation of Scripture goes on, the promises become clearer and clearer. So in Genesis 12, when he calls Abraham, he makes him this promise, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. A descendant of Eve is coming. A descendant of Abraham is coming. And the picture of Jesus gets clearer and clearer as we read the Old Testament. Moses becomes a picture of what Jesus will be like and what he will do. Aaron becomes a picture of our great high priest. The Passover lamb becomes a picture of what is going to happen on the cross. Time and time again, the revelation gets clearer and clearer and clearer as we go through Scripture. Some of my favorite portrayals of Jesus in the Old Testament are in Isaiah. Matthew's already quoted Isaiah 7. We often read at Christmas time from Isaiah 9. We've had reference to this this morning. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. 
on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has, has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. In chapter 11, he says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from the roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And so as the gospel writers tell us about Joseph and Mary, they're also telling us they are descended from David. This is part of the story revealed by God in the Garden of Eden. Uh, further, further revealed time and time again in Scripture. A descendant of Abraham, a descendant of David. A king is coming. A king is coming. And yet clear as it is, it's only clear when you've been given revelation. So when Jesus is walking the earth and fulfilling these prophecies, people don't see it. People don't understand it. And then God gives them revelation. And we find the writers of the New Testament start to understand, actually, this didn't even begin in the Garden of Eden. This goes back even further. So Paul tells us in Ephesians, God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. John tells us that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. All of eternity has been looking forward to this moment. See, I do a lot of stuff in life not knowing what's going to happen next. Is that true for you? Unintended consequences. I do something and I think, right, now I've got to wait and see what's going to happen next. I'm not like God in that respect. God never gets caught by surprise. There are no unintended consequences in the plans and purposes of God. Before he made a single star, before any planet was in orbit, before there were any galaxies, God knew that the day would come when he would take on human form, when the sun would set aside the glory of heaven and make himself nothing. He knew it. All of eternity has been waiting for this first Christmas. And all of human history looks back on it and is changed by it. This birth, this lifespan, these 33 years, the incarnation, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, all of history centers on these moments. He is the very focal point of eternity. What an amazing, amazing story it is. How easily we lose the wonder of it. So we're going to think about Christmas present. And I was asked specifically, 
I was asked specifically to think about how do we, how do we understand Christmas present without all the commercialization? So I'm guessing it's all right for me to provoke you because God's given me authority to do that. That's been prophesied over me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provoke you. I'm going to throw some ideas out. But if Jesus, don't be offended by this, all right? We've moved away from teaching what Scripture says. I just want to throw some ideas out. You can disagree with me. That's fine. But if, if the birth of Jesus is the focal point of all eternity, surely we can make him the focal point of Christmas Day. I mean, I know we remember Jesus every day. We talk to him every day. We thank him every day. We live in the power of the Spirit because of the birth of Jesus every single day. But we have chosen to set aside this day to remember and celebrate his birth. We can make him the very center of our day, can't we? How, how might we do that? These are my ideas. You don't, you don't have to agree with these. How about we meet with other people who have been redeemed by Jesus to celebrate his birth? How about we do that? Not, necessarily, not as Jubilee. We can't do that here, can we? But what a great way to put Jesus at the center of our day. Now, I gr- I'm old, so I grew up in churches where this was normal. Uh, Mel grew up in a church where this was normal. Our churches met on Christmas Day. For me as a teenager, it was quite radical because my, ch- my parents were not church people. So I left them Christmas morning to go and spend time with my church family to celebrate the incarnation. When we started going out, 15, 16 years old, we met one another. In our, in our church family on Christmas Day, we celebrated the incarnation. What a great way to make Jesus the very center of what happens on Christmas Day. When we moved up to the Peak District, we joined a church like Jubilee. We don't, I mean, very practical reasons. We don't have a meeting on Christmas Day. But we'd made friends in other churches near where we lived. So we've celebrated Christmas Day in uh, Methodist churches and High Anglican churches and Elim churches. I don't care. These people have been saved by the love of God. We are united in Christ. We can take this moment to celebrate the incarnation. It's a great way of making sure that Jesus doesn't get pushed to the margins. Because we live in a world where Jesus is on the margins on Christmas Day. That's okay with me. I like marginalized people. That's like right up my street. But he, but he's, he is, isn't he? How often do we hear about him in the build-up to Christmas? How does he compare with all the stuff that gets advertised and all the, all the things that we could buy? Presents. Presents have displaced Jesus on Christmas Day. We don't have to do that. I see how much money some people spend on Christmas Day, and I think you cannot afford this. I've seen a brilliant Martin Lewis clip on social media recently. I don't know if you've seen this. He talks about being obligated to buy people presents. So someone spends 20 quid on you, you feel like you've got to spend 20 quid on them. They sent you a Christmas card 15 years ago. You've been sending them Christmas cards ever since. Never spoken to them, haven't met them, can't remember who they are in my case. But you feel obligated. We've had, so when our kids were young, I had to say to my parents, please don't buy them so many presents. That's not how we want to do Christmas. We don't want the presents to become the thing that the kids are excited about. We want them to be excited about the incarnation and the birth of Jesus and the fact that God has chosen to leave the glory of heaven and come to earth so that we can become children of God. That's exciting. When do you give the presents? What does that say about the priority they hold in your, in your household on Christmas Day? Is it the very first thing that happens? Or is it after you've celebrated with other Christians the birth of Jesus? Or is it after your family lunch? When, 
I'm just, I know I'm being provocative. I'm not choosing to offend. I'm just saying we need to think about this because the world does not know Jesus. So he's not part of their celebrations. If we just get carried along and celebrate the same way everyone else does, we've missed it, haven't we? That's syncretism. That's the church just becoming like the rest of the world. We're not. We know the wonder and the glory of God in human form. That makes our Christmases different. We've had a real privilege in the last few years. Not many people can do this. But we've been able to share our Christmas dinner table with people who can't afford to buy that food or who wouldn't know how to cook it or don't have family to celebrate it with. That has been a huge privilege for us. You know, Shelter released a report this week. 131,000 children in the UK will not be celebrating Christmas in their own home this year. They will be in hostels or B&Bs or the sofas of their parents' friends. I think... I think, what better way to worship God than to remember the poor at Christmas? We never worship him more faithfully than when we're most like him. I think that's what he would do. That's my, that's my thing now, isn't it? I want to show you a video. Can we just dim the lights? We're going to show this video and then we're going to complete our tour of Christmas. It's one in 200 people in the UK are homeless. Could have been me. So, just like in a Christmas carol, we have a Christmas past, we have a Christmas present, and we have a Christmas yet to be. I'm stretching the point theologically, but Jesus is going to return. There's going to be another time when Jesus makes his entrance into this world. And this time, he isn't going to be born vulnerable in the, in the filth and the mess of the animal shed. He is going to come in glory. John saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And at the end of Revelation, Jesus says simply this, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. One day, one day, he's going to ride out of heaven and bring in his kingdom in all its fullness, with all his glory. And there'll be no more death or pain or sorrow or crying. 
And whenever we think about the Christmas that is yet to be, the Bible encourages us to think about how we live today. So when Jesus tells those amazing parables in Matthew 25, every one of them has this imperative. Because he will return, let's live for his glory today. Because there's a Christmas yet to be, let's pull in the kingdom into our experience today, this week, in your home, in your place of work, in your street, in your community. Pull in the future. Let's live for that glory right now. Let's bring in that justice today. Let's live righteous lives here because he will come and it will happen in all its fullness. The glory of the kingdom of God, he will be with us. We will be with him forever. Nothing can separate us from that. That has to transform and change our lives today. So at the end of A Christmas Carol, Scrooge is a transformed man and he says, oh, he says this. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirit of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. What a great message for us as Christians. This can be our commitment before God today, can't it? That we live today striving with the spirit of Christmas past and Christmas present and Christmas yet to be. Because it's about his kingdom and his glory every day. Okay. I think, I think we're going to sing again. Are we? I'm lost. Maybe not. Maybe not. Shall we? I can pray, Rupert. Don't worry. Don't worry. I will close in prayer. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Father, thank you that for all of eternity you have known every one of us. You've known our weaknesses and our sins and our rebellious nature, and you have loved us. Thank you, Jesus, that before the creation of the world you chose to be born and to live a perfect life and die a perfect sacrifice. And we acknowledge that you have been resurrected and ascended into glory. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. And Lord Jesus, we long for your kingdom to come in all its fullness. But right now, Father God, we ask you this. Let your will be done today on earth as it is in heaven. And we commit ourselves to bringing in the kingdom of the future to the very day in which we live today. You are worthy of all honor and glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.